uh, fighter meetings and the ceiling was like vibrating because of DC like asking just asking questions and you're just and I sit there thinking how does this little English guy with a small voice who's going to be commentating next to that behemoth of a man kick sports podcast so hey guys welcome to another episode of Calf kick sports I'm Ash joined as ever by Tim and today we have a special guest on the show. He is one of the voices of the UFC. Uh, but he doesn't just do that. He's a TV presenter, an event host, basically just an all-round workhorse. Uh, Mr. John Gooden, how you doing, mate? I'm doing all right. Thank you for the introduction. I barely hear myself called those things these days in the pandemic, but um, <laughs> it's nice to see I've got traces of it still in my past. Uh, how's the uh, lateral disc tear going? Uh, I mean, are you, is that healing up okay? Uh, yeah, we turned a corner on Monday, but uh, I tried to do some swimming yesterday and was barely walking last night. Went, uh, was at the gym earlier just to see the team and put a little little complex machine on it, I think it's called, and it did some madness, made me feel like I was getting electrocuted. Yeah, day by day, you know, day by day. But um, I've been through this kind of stuff before, so you just got to keep, keep smiling through it and doing what you can. And it it's rough. We're all entering the cage with bumps and bruises and injuries. Now, you were doing some cage work through the pandemic as well. And you've called some fights that had some of the most electric crowds in history. And then you've called fights with no crowds. How do you keep up the energy when there's no audience there? Yeah, it's it's a little bit odd. But I guess without sounding like a dick, you know, you're meant to be a professional, right? So, like, just it's your job. So bring that. And I think because I've been around the big crowd so I understand or there's like a muscle memory around how hard I would go with certain things my cadence the levels so we're there to do a job and let's be honest like as fight fans we genuinely get excited by these things so you naturally react the way that you do whether you're in your your front room your back room whichever room you tend to watch fights from uh, and if you're there in a crowd so it's not as difficult as one may think, but it is a bit weird and eerie when you kind of hear the your words come back around the room. I think it was yeah. worse with DC because DC's voice is so powerful. It's <laughs> like no word of a lie. We were in a meeting, uh, fighter meetings, and the ceiling was like vibrating because of DC like, asking just asking questions. And you're just and I sit there thinking, how does this little English guy with a small voice? who's going to be commentating next to that behemoth of a man, how am I supposed to compete? Uh, So, yes, it's funny when I could hear through one microphone and then through one receiver, like a slight difference because of DC's voice being so powerful, being picked up on everyone's microphones. Yeah, I mean, that's a big one, isn't it? I mean, actually going on that, like how important is the team during a time like this, you know, when you don't have the crowd, at least you could feed off the energy of each other, right? Yeah, and the, these guys are, are legends in the game. Those that are sat there doing commentary, they're there for a reason. You know, they're champions or or those that are just wicked broadcasters and have trodden every possible aspect of the, the fight game. So it's it's great for someone like me to be able to have those folk that are next to me because they've seen, been there, done it, experienced it or not been far from experiencing it, and they have a, a pretty educated take. So I can throw anything their way and, and get 
a different response, like DC's different to Dan, different to Paul, different to uh, Bisping. And it's wonderful for, for me to be able to open the door for you guys, because that, that's what I'm there to do, right? I'm there to kind of unlock things and, and be the conduit to ask certain questions that elicit different responses and educate in a certain way and entertain. So um, it, it's a blast being side by side with these guys. It looks like a lot of fun as well. Like it seems like you have one of the best jobs in the world. Have you ever struggled? I I agree. Have you ever struggled to kind of get them? Because sometimes you work with like people who are so excited into the sport, like a Daniel Cormier and a Dan Hardy. Have you ever struggled to kind of like, okay, back on track, guys? Like back on track. Let's let's stop, you know, chit chat and let's get to what's going on. Any memories like that? That's a question for our producers uh, because there have been a few times where you're. I mean. We're having fun. And I think everyone wants you to have fun. I think that you can. I'm not saying that it has when I've been in the broadcast booth, but I think you can sometimes go a little bit too far. And when you're in it and when you've got two alpha males that are looking to have the last word, then it takes someone of a higher pay grade than me to tell people to settle down. So... (laughs) Our producers sometimes, if we're, and this isn't just if we're a bit excitable, but just generally speaking, they might just, because they have a a slightly step back view from things, they say, right, now is a good time to switch it, change, like talk about the other corner, whatever it might be. It doesn't happen often, but I'll put my hand up and say, yeah, that the producers have told me to move it along or, or change tact or something like that, uh, you know, over the years. It's a long, it's a long time on the mic to get it right every time yeah i mean you're you're working a lot of hours man on the on the broadcast um but i mean changing gears a little bit let's go back to 2014 when you first started um how was it in your first ever gig at the ufc was it was it very nerve-wracking your first commentary uh yeah your first commentating job yeah it really was uh, i look back at that now and that there were, i was making a lot of changes in my life generally like I'd, I'd switched up my diet completely and i wasn't managing it very well so I'd, i was super skinny um i was stressed that so basically i cut meat out so i didn't really know how i was going to fuel myself because i was like a meat and two veg guy before so that with the new job but i was also managing the old job and that was still pretty serious so there was a bunch of there was it was nervous energy good energy but I'm also one of those guys where I, I do care. It's just in my nature. I care about my performance. I care about what the MMA community thinks about the work that I'm doing. And so I take things to heart and I perhaps I certainly overthought about stuff, overthought things back then way more than what I do now because you sort of grow into the role. But there was no, I mean, Cage Warriors was as good a proving ground as you're going to get, but it's still, from a broadcast perspective, a long way off what the UFC is. And so jumping up, it was it was a massive leap. And you just have to see how you do with it and then hope the fans enjoy the work that you're doing. I think sitting alongside someone like Dan Hardy, or, or sit, not like Dan, but with Dan Hardy, who was you know a legend over here in the UK and had achieved many great things, because it sounded like he respected me. Uh, we went into that as a, you know, as a strong partnership and, and that definitely helped. So yes, I lost a lot of weight uh, when I was in that first year with the UFC for sure. But, you know, we, because I care so much, it's the dream job. As you guys said, you, it, it literally was 
the dream job. I didn't look to become a sports presenter or sports commentator. I wanted to become the UFC commentator and I got that job. And that is, that still blows my mind. Uh, Yeah. So when I'm not doing it now, I get kind of a little bit, all right, like is my dream slipping away? And I felt like that in the last uh, two, three years. I genuinely have felt like that. But March 19th, I get to live it again. Nice. Do you ever have to pinch yourself going, man? Yeah. <laughs> and it's good to do that right it's good to to show gratitude and to keep your feet on the ground I'm not really someone that has an overinflated opinion I don't think I maybe ask my wife and those close to me but like I still feel like I'm fighting for my job every every day really um I'm trying to add value to the UFC and to UK MMA and and MMA in general every day you know I really am but you you never know what someone's opinion is of you in a decision making capacity and whether your face just doesn't fit one day so I just got to keep doing what we're doing enjoy it whilst it's there pinch yourself as much as you can but at the same time don't be overwhelmed by the occasion because you are there to do a job and I'm a pro now you know there's only a few other people that have done this as much as I have in the world so yeah just uh just just do the work and and deliver the best broadcast possible. Yeah, I'd absolutely love to hear it. And it's it's nice when we speak to people who work in the sport and they're so passionate about the sport. And I think your passion is really shown because you were in the sport kind of before it was cute, before it was really popular. You were practicing, you were at Cage Warriors events. Um, and then even now during the pandemic, I was trying to find something of like, how do I edit this in Skype for a video? And then John Gooden was the answer. I was like, man, this guy is nonstop. Everywhere I look, it's John Gooden. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, I, it feels like I need to do a lot more on that side of things. But yeah, I like to help people out in whatever way it can. I, I put videos out of how to fix dishwasher faults. Yeah. You know, I, I've been I just I genuinely, I've been thinking about doing um, some, because my former life was as an electrician. And there's just a few things that I'm going to be doing uh, soon. And I'm like, oh, I might just do a video around that and show people why it's important to do X, Y, and Z. Just because, you know, I do, I film shit and I can put it up on my channel if someone wants to, if it helps someone out, then great. Uh, But it's probably not the best use of my time, but um, we'll, we'll see how we go. Yeah, I try and, I'm a man of many, we're all people with different layers, right? So Gary Vaynerchuk is someone who I didn't like in the beginning, probably because I needed to listen to him and I have a problem with authority sometimes. But now I've embraced that and gotten past that. He's the kind of guy that says, look, if it floats your boat, then just put it out there. Like, just get it out there and don't care about stuff. Just get in the, in the um, what's the word, in the rhythm of creating stuff and putting things out, regardless of what it might be. And I, I think there should be a strategy but there's definitely, 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 definitely something about habits and creating those habits. So, um, yeah, I try. It's hard, but I, I try to do that kind of thing. Nice. Um, so obviously, John, um, you know, I, I hear you do train. Um, I'm not sure. I, you know, Faisal Manik. Uh, I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, we had him on last week and he mentioned, yeah, man, John's such a nice guy, man. Oh, that's uh, very yeah, kind of him. Yeah, he, actually tra- he actually trains as well. Um, how important is it to train as an analyst in something, whether it be uh, boxing or jiu-jitsu or any kind of martial art? That, does it help um, yourself, you know, uh, 
tremendously. Yeah, well, I take confidence from it for sure. It's I don't know any different. And I mean, people look at me and they probably don't think that I'm a fighter. I'm probably more I'm probably more of a bite down on the mouthpiece and get through it and show heart type of type of person than I am a technical or or decent athlete that you know I I'm a bit stupid in that sense and that's how I've gotten through it but I'm getting old now and the and the the injuries are stacking up but yeah I've I was a competitive swimmer from when I was five years old and um did pretty good at that but then martial arts grabbed a hold when I was seven you know I was competing nationally in judo um then I switched over to karate my uncle is now I think like a fourth dan in Shotokan karate I was doing I was doing karate with him when he first started for a few years then I changed out and I, I joined um I joined like the boxing ranks I did the novice ABA stuff for for a little bit whilst I was at uni uh then I then I went back to playing football because none of my friends were into combat sports I did all of this was like always by myself and it's a little bit difficult to maintain but yeah, I went and did football, but I was just drawn back to it. And then the, the rise of the UFC and things of that nature led me to Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I think what that gives me is a sense of what it takes. And I might not have done much or anything uh, in the fight game, but I've been next to people that really have. I've, I've grown up in mixed martial arts in the UK when it's very misunderstood that it needed a lot of help from everyone in all, all sorts of different ways PR health and safety rules and regulation like so many people could lend their efforts to for the betterment of of the sport and did and and although I was around in like when did I start like 2006 2007 there are obviously many many people that went before me that put the groundwork in uh there's going to be so many people that like Lee Hasdell and Mark Goddard was there and, you know, Ian Freeman, Butlins and, you know, there's just so many, I mean, I'm missing so many of it. It's probably wrong for me to start, but like Rosie Sexton was really key to my understanding and, and helping give me confidence. And that's the thing about our sport. I'm going off on a tangent here, but (laughs) if you were showing willing and, and you were putting in hard work because we are a strong community, there are other people that were willing to pull you up. And if you, if you prove to them that, you could offer something and that you were genuine, they're going to help you out. Like Mark Goddard had helped me out. Rosie helped me out. Graham Boylan helped me out. And, and there have been many others. So I cling to that. I'm grateful for it. And now I expect that from other people in the sport as well, because it deserves it. You know, we, we, we want people that are going to, going to really help us out. So yeah, I, I think being around the grassroots, it teaches you things, you feel certain things, you've seen certain things, and no disrespect to anyone else who now tries to sit in that chair, but you just haven't done what, what I've done. You haven't been on shows, 20 fight fight cards, uh, amateurs before YouTube and Facebook was around that you could even check out, you know, what they did. I'm finding things out as people are wrapping their hands. So now when it comes to calling fights in London, UFC London, it's a doddle. Like I could just type in someone's name and I get, x amount of articles you know that wasn't how things were when i was coming up so it's yeah i'm grateful for the for the challenges early on and it's it makes my job and my approach a bit different from everyone else's 
and the passion and care clearly shows you're incredibly knowledgeable when you're on the mic see the thing is we end up getting talked about like technical stuff and broadcast stuff because that's kind of like where we all really relate a lot but i wanted to ask you when it comes to mma in the uk as you were mentioning ufc 38 was the first one in the uk and i don't it probably hurt MMA UK more than anything else did. UFC 70, it came back. And that was the big one with Gabriel Gonzaga and Mirko Krokop. Where were you for UFC 70? Because that was a good one. I really don't know. Like, I'm going to be really honest with you now. Like, I, my, I have a terrible memory. So I have to, that makes my, the only challenge that that has is I have to study every time. Some people watch a fight and it's locked in forever. I don't know what it is. Sadly, that just that isn't the case for me. I'm working on it. I've tried lots of different techniques. I'm eating all the supplements. Um, but for me, it doesn't work like that. So I, uh, I it's like when people say, what's your favorite fights? Oh, I have to go through the memo. Oh, which ones have I done? <laughs> you know, I, it sort of, oh, was it? I'm sure I've seen a Masvidal fight. Was I, was I there when he knocked it? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, no, that wasn't you on the mic, John. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Well, I remember it like it was me. So these things, these things blend. So I, I'm terrible with uh, with numbered events, the mm. years when things happen. I just, uh, if I go back and watch it, I could probably give a better example. But I, I just don't know. Fair enough. I, I was gonna say like, there's there's no way, man, because I, I there was actually one of our questions here. How good is your memory? Because you seem to just rattle off things like just so well. Do you just sometimes have a memory in front of you or something? Some, yeah, <laughs> sometimes it comes to me. Yeah. Like, a lot of people a lot of people talk about the preparation and like I, i'll stand by the no one prepares like me like i'm i'm sorry you no one prepares like i do because i have more time the other guys that are doing this um if it's not the ufc then they've probably got other jobs um i'm out in the field i've been at tom aspinall's camp three times since december i've been with paddy the baddie I've seen Mike Grundy working his ass off. I've been to Jack Shaw's. Um, like I've seen uh, Muhammad Makayev in camp this time around. Like I'm there. Like I'm actually in the camp. I'm taking notes. I'm watching it. And then when it comes to actually preparing for the events as well, like I've got a database, thousands of notes. I've got hundreds of books dating back. I write whenever I watch a UFC event, I write notes on every single fight, like what happened, oh, wow. what I liked about it. And I've got it all together. I've got a ridiculous database. And I try and condense that down into notes that I take into fight week. And I obviously refresh what I do with um, with my notes and the fights, the, the more recent fights or standout fights. There's little tricks that I will use to try and get that. And then recall. There are, there are now methodologies that I use for remembering certain things to get better at it like I, I used a a system of um testing myself before the McGregor Poirier fights where I was trying to commit to memory McGregor's timeline and I was working backstage and, and it actually worked so I'd been testing myself on the lead up to the event sitting down and saying okay right so in 2014 he fought then then then, then he did that fight. Then he did that fight. Then he did that fight. This is where we led to. And by the time I got to fight day, we had to fill backstage. I was outside waiting for his car to arrive. And they went live to me and his car wasn't there. And I'm like, well, let's see if this worked then. So McGregor signed in 2013. 
you know, he had this fight, then 2014, he had this fight, then we had like the Brandau thing, then blah, 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 blah. And I was able to walk all the way through it. And I'm like, that's how you do it. You have to keep on testing yourself. So, um, yeah, I just have to work a little bit harder at things. But yeah, that's, uh, as I say, you know, I, I live for the prep. I'm a bit of a geek like that. And, and I'll go into that London fight card knowing what colour socks these guys like wearing on a Monday and a Tuesday. Speaking of, we are back. The UFC is finally coming back. UFC March 19th here at the O2 Arena. I am excited for this one. You've been covering all the guys. You did a big show with Patty recently. I want to talk Tom Aspinall. I want to talk, uh, is Dan Hooker going to make it? So let's jump right into it. Patty the Batty. How's this prep coming along? And why does he argue with everybody on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, his prep seems to be coming along really well. He seems to feel like he's in the best place he's ever been uh, physically and, and mentally. You know, things are obviously on the up. Like this has been a wild six months for him and he's just riding this wave. And he's not the kind of guy that lets any of that, the BS get to him. He gets riled up and that's why you see him biting at people. But that's because he's, he's comfortable in his own skin and he doesn't give an F what other people think of him. So he will say his piece. And that's quite um, cathartic, I guess. If you're not wearing things heavy, like I said earlier, you know, when you worry about what people are thinking all the time and you overthink that, then that actually then brings you down. It mutes you a little bit. Whereas Paddy's like, I've got a problem with that. I'm going to tell you about it. I don't really care about your response. So I, I got a comeback again. I mean, I don't know the guy intimately, but this is from afar. This is how I, I see it. So that just means that I think he's just a little bit lighter. So that's why we see him going from that to then bouncing around and telling jokes within the same paragraph. You know, he's, he has an infectious energy. He's, I think he's actually very, very bright. I think he's got yeah. sharp wit about wow. him. Um, I like his approach. I think nothing's forced. It's, it's just lucky. It's natural for him that he can combine being uh, a, a very magnetic personality, but also a, obviously a legitimate badass when it comes to fighting. Pairing that together, the timing, being from Liverpool, the UK, smaller market than the US, we need big stars, of course. We always do, but now's a good time. He's riding all of these things. Liverpool FC are doing pretty well at the moment, you know, and he's, he's, there's a decent parlay here that is just coming, coming to the fore and, and Paddy's just loving every second of it. Do, do you feel like, you know, obviously, if you strings wins together, I mean, you know, that's obviously important, but do you see more of a shorter kind of route to the title? You know, as we all know, you know, popularity it, it does it does give you not an easier route to the title but you know you, you have less fights to getting into that title fight because numbers is what you know is what brings everything in there's, there's there are i mean respectfully i think that, that could be oversimplifying it i think there's things like if you're super active like if you if you're fighting once or twice a year but you're a really really big star on the up not a champion then i still think you're going to struggle if you're fighting three times a year or putting your hand up all the time, like Connor did, um, and taking on all, all comers, then, then you're just in the minds of the matchmakers and then those opportunities end up presenting themselves. So that, that kind of works for you. It doesn't work for you when you're in the 155 weight division. You've got to be a real outlier because it's just so deep and there's so, so many talented athletes and entertaining personalities as well. 
Um, I think it sometimes helps if you are from a smaller market. And let's be honest, like the UFC, sorry, the UK market is smaller than the US market, maybe smaller than the Brazil market. Um, so when the UFC goes on the road like it does and they need people to then, you know, really sell that event locally, then you can get those spots. Then you end up in a co-main or a main event. You get more eyeballs. Then the fans want to see you again. Then you get an opportunity on the mic. You call someone out big. And, you know, these things just perpetuate. It's, it's, a, it's a cauldron of ingredients. Um, but I think, I think also you've got to be careful, especially at 155 pounds. I mean, every division, but particularly 155 pounds, about going too fast. Mm. You know, if you've... Paddy's had a lot of fights, so I think he'd be okay. He's got a lot of experience. But then if, you, if you've only had like eight fights and then you're in the 100, that 155 pound oven, uh, then, you know, do you really want to go that fast? Because all of a sudden you're going to be fighting guys that have got 20, 20 professional contests and they yeah. just got tricks and they can use mental warfare like you haven't seen before. And they can put doubt in your mind because you've just not gone through what they've gone through. So, yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. But He's got a bright future and, you know, good luck to the kid. Yeah, definitely. Oh, man, it, it's exciting to see. He, he's a bright prospect. But Tom Aspinall, people have been calling for years that this guy, looking at how good he is in the cage, people are saying, like, he's going to be champion in 2022. Does he earn a title shot? Because he's been quite quiet about it, saying, like, I think I actually want to take my time to the title. Yeah. I don't know if I want a title shot. In 2022, do you think he gets a title shot? And do you see him as a future champion? Because he's, he's a super talent. What do you think, John? Yeah, I think he's a super talent. And I've been, I've been shouting that as soon as we saw him in the UFC. And, and I actually, like, you can go on my YouTube and see this. Like, I, I predicted that he and Cyril Gann would potentially headline the first UFC in France. You know, I thought that would, that would be an, a really cool thing. I'm not sure that will happen now. But I do think that they will meet down the line. Um, you're sort of running out of people. You know, if you, you get past someone like Alexander Volkov, number next to his name, then you're running out of people on it to keep away from the title. I don't think the title comes in 2022 for him. Um, I think 2023 could be possible if he gets the right results. But it's not outside the realms of possibility. You know, that John Jones hanging over the division, the Francis Ngannou situation right now slows things up as well, right? So then, that, you know, whether that means that there'll be like an interim title while things, I, I don't know, you know, again, above my pay grade, but that certainly does muddy the waters. But Tom, with a win over Volkov, Volkov's fought a lot of those big guys. Like who else, who does he go through next? You, the only other guy, two of us is coming up at a similar, a faster pace. So, you know, then you're looking at a Cyril Gann, a Derek Lewis, um, I mean, who else? Yeah, he's not going to fight Stipe. Stipe is, is the, for me, uh, you know, Stipe, the greatest heavyweight, UFC heavyweight of all time right now. It's up for grabs, but that, he's the guy that holds that for me. There's a few there, and that's a lot of fights he's got to get through in 2022. But, you know, Tom, he's in no hurry to do this, by the way. So he wouldn't be angry, I don't think, by me even saying that. He wants to get some minutes in the octagon so that he feels more prepared for when he's facing these giants um, and oh, and Curtis Blade, sorry, he's a, with his style, he's a massive problem for everyone. But I see Tom favoring like a fight with someone like that to test his skills, you know, and he's still young enough. He's in his twenties. 
If it doesn't go his way, another couple of wins, and he's right back circling back round. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, changing gears, I wanted to talk about Arnold Allen. I, I feel like this kid is just so underappreciated in the UFC. Um, he's finally got you know quite a big fight against Dan Hooker. Uh, how do you think uh, Dan Hooker would do at 145? I know he made it before, but he's a big boy, man. How is he going to make 145? I mean, he, is, he has made 145 with a test cut. How do you think yeah. he'll perform? Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I, I will just say, like, I know that I know the feeling with Arnold Allen, like, un, un, underappreciated. I'd say with U, UFC fans because I know that the UFC have offered him some very like big name fights, but he's just not been able to answer the call because of his injury problems. So they definitely know how good he is, and he's been offered some really cool opportunities, which I think's been very difficult for him. You know, to, to not be able to meet those appointments but Dan Hooker back to your question uh it's a really big question that I'm asking myself as well because your 145 career wasn't great and that's why you went up to 155 and then you killed it you know he's an incredible athlete I think that Dan Hooker's one of one of the better athletes to listen to who breaks down the fight game he speaks so well He's got a super intelligent coach. He's got an elite level gym and training partners. So the, the conversations that go on there are just of the highest level and, and their, um, their approach to mixed martial arts. And that's been a development since his 145 days, of course. So, so there's been a lot of changes. But now it's, can he apply all of those down at another weight class? Because he, is, he does have a bigger frame and he would have needed to fill out to compete with the likes of Dustin Poirier you know it's he's he's a thick dude you know so you I don't think I don't know but did he ever have an eye on going oh if this doesn't work out I'm just going to keep my weight within a certain certain um parameter so that I can make the jump back down I maybe I don't know I wouldn't have thought so a lot of these fighters are kind of a hundred percent in like so we'll see you know, we'll see. He's definitely earned a lot of experience and has developed his game at 155 pounds, which he'll be able to bring to 145. But he obviously thinks he's bringing advantages. We just got to see whether he can ac- actually execute them, you know, in, in a big fight. It's not a warm up by any stretch. Yeah. That's yeah. for your first fight at, at Featherweight. Man, Featherweight, the thing is, we talk about 155 being so good. The thing is that, um, bantamweight featherweight and lightweight are all stacked like there's no easy fights in any of those divisions like even cutting down to featherweight there's no easy fights if he wins this fight or he loses this fight it's just hard fights on every side of them am i wrong here yeah i think i think they are um they are hard fights and i think they're the fights that take a lot of miles or put a lot of miles on the body as well because if you fight calvin cater He'll take everything that you throw at him. Yep. Same with Max Holloway. Same with Korean Zombie, pretty much. Yair Rodriguez is going to throw something at you that's going to ring your bell. Um, it's not like you're going to get wrestled hard and smothered for a period of time. Not at the moment, not with the guys at the, at the top of that division. So mm. you got some real, you got some really tough fights. You're going to get banged up. Um, I think this is the year for that division as well. I thought that bantamweights have, have really, really, really shone in the last couple of years, and I, and I love to see it. Massive fan of the lighter weight classes because you see all the technical stuff. 
when you really break it down, you see how it's done like beautifully, which is why I also like women's mixed martial arts, because it's not always about raw power. You see the technique that's performed. And as a student of the game, it really illuminates that. Uh, but featherweights is a good one. You still get the knockouts, less so than you do at sort of light heavyweight, of course. Um, but yeah, these, yeah, it's, it's pretty grueling stuff down at, down at featherweight. You're right. Absolutely, man. Um, but yeah, I'm going to change gears a little bit because I, I need to ask you this question. What, is your, what has been your favorite fight to call ever? Like just ever? <clears throat> We can give you hints. We can, we, we can give you hints if you yeah, want. We, we've yeah, got well, one of our own. But. Yeah, we, we, we actually picked for you. <laughs> Thanks for coming well, on the I've show. Got, well, 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 let's go one each, yeah? So I'm going to say I'm going to say Connor versus Ivan Bushinger uh, in Cage Warriors because it was such a pivotal moment. And now I can look back and see how big it was. But even then, we knew something special was happening. And like the, because it was different, like the fans were jumping all over us. We got soaked in beer. And like Connor was there on the cage and it was very dramatic and uh, I lost my shit on the mic. So that's one of them. Then you guys, you guys, uh, let, let's share in a couple of these. I mean, we, we, we both had the same, literally the same one. Um, it was the Anderson Silver and Michael Bisping bout. That yeah, is yeah. gangbusters, man. That was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that, that was good. So <clears throat> when I was training, I think... Anderson Silva was the guy that I would try, like, never going to get close, but I would try and emulate him on the bag. I loved his style. He came through Cage Rage over here in the UK, so he's got, like, a little affiliation to the UK. But at the same time, one of my coaches, uh, Dennis and Sutherland, Mad Max, he went up to train with Michael Bisping uh, years before, but I remember waiting in the gym for him to return. Him and another guy went up to um, the Wolf's Lair, and we were waiting to go, like, how good is he? Like, is he really that good? And they're like, yeah, he's really that good. And you're like, oh man, oh, this is awesome. Do you know what I mean? Because those guys are beating us up. We're not putting gloves on them. Then they're going up there. They're not landing gloves on those guys. So you're get you're gauging things. So when I when I then sat down and I'm there with Dan Hardy next to me, all the UFC bosses were there. It was like a UFC fight pass pay-per-view. So it was a really big thing. They were trialing this thing. There was a lot of pressure on on that and to, to let us handle the broadcast. And then you've got Michael Bisping, like the highest achieving uh, fighter from the UK and the goats. It just like, for me, it's just unbelievable. Right. And then the fight itself, like that round three thing, um, like my producers actually said, I did a pretty good job of handling that because the fight wasn't over. And I, and I saw Herb Dean hadn't called it. So the drama, man, it was, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. So, yeah, that, that, that was a good one. Um, I'll come back with, uh, it's hard to decipher anything from that Dublin card. I think they were all spectacular. Yeah. So they blend into one. But, if, but let's, I mean, all right, it's such, a, it's such an obvious call, right? But all right, McGregor versus Brandao, you know, I'll, I'll go with yes. that. Yes. It's just so nuts, man. And, and again, <laughs> we can't, I can't disassociate myself from how far he's gone since. Like that for me, and, you know, this is only a little thing, but I, I was commentating on Connor's fights in 2010. So to then see his ascension and to where he's gotten to, like that's someone who, who I've had a conversation with. Do you know what I mean? And I've been, I've kind of had, like my words are sort of scattered on his journey. 
which is like that's really surreal so um so that that was that was another one so over to you guys what else we got i like this i need to comment on that because you know that was the first time yeah i was getting over i was getting people over i think it was on fight pass uh he he must have got some kind of cut from that because he was he literally was just getting so many people subscribing on fight pass on that same on the same day in fact just to watch him fight and right. uh, I was like, yeah, guys, just watch this fight. I'm like, who's this? I'm like, this is Conor McGregor. It was in 2014. And um, I think after he won that fight, I'm like, if this guy can continue, he's going to just be an absolute star, man. Like, there's just yeah. absolutely no doubt in my mind. Um, do you ever think we'll get, I mean, do you think we'll ever get a star like Conor again? Like, as big as that, that's just ridiculous. <clears throat> I really, I, I don't think we do. I don't think we will, because the more this sport grows more walls will come up there will be less access people will be protected a bit more and yeah things will just develop it, it it's just inevitable he just came around at a time when you know it's just bonkers like it's yeah. so crazy <laughs> it's so crazy when i saw the forbes list it's a bit crass looking at the money side but I saw the Forbes list and it was like the the richest under 30s. And he had more money than Gareth Bale at that moment, apparently, right? And break that down. Like Gareth Bale is an international footballer. He was maybe the skipper of the Welsh team at the time. I think he was playing in Spain. Yeah. Um, and he'd gone there on a ridiculous contract. He would have been earning tens of thousands of pounds a week since he was like 15 years of age. He would have had very experienced money men managing his finances. And he would have had all kinds of deals over a 15-year period, let's say. Connor did it in five years. And I'm like, how do you do that? That's just unprecedented. And it's the genius. But, but you know, and it is, it is the genius of the man. But timing does have to come into these things. Not, not luck, timing. And... The way that the UFC allowed things to just be and give him the world tour. Like, how many world tours have we had since McGregor Aldo? Do you know what I mean? They rolled out the carpet. They, they know their shit, you know? And look and look what they've created. And that's, um, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. It really is. Man, when this sport is at its best, when it's promoting the right narratives and yet the right people in the right spot, there's nothing better than this sport. This is the best sport on earth, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, like, like it or loathe it, don't like the narrative, do like the narratives, but it's, you know, it's, it's all reflective of how we are as a society. All of this stuff's very present, you know, and if, if we're, it's a very international community, I'm not saying that I like everything that is always said and done, I, but it's you know i'm 20 years older than a lot of these these people do you know what i mean and people communicate differently they interact differently this world is is different now but um they're leveraging it for their gain and popularity and to get eyeballs and hopefully on balance there's a positive spin and then we can continue to progress nice um but yeah I want to ask this because we asked this to all our guests, more like, like our signature question. Uh, so obviously you got Dustin Poirier, he's got his signature hot sauce. You got Connor, he's got his um, you know his proper whiskey. If there was a John Gooden signature brand, what would your signature brand be? Sorry to put you on the spot there, John. <laughs> would it be like? Brand. 
electrical oh. equipment selling from Saintsbury, something that's very related <laughs> to you. <laughs> oh dear, what's um? I think what well, this is a, a quote, and it's the wrong synonym because it's the better synonym, but the the uh, the word escapes me. But one of my closest friends, my mate Dean, because of the way that I approach things, he he used to just cut in and he'd go determination by john gooden as in referring to like an aftershave he's like if you had an aftershave because of the way that you are it would be called determination it's just i'm I'm not very skilled um i just i'm a determined mofo like it was more referring to me on the football pitch i think just the fact that i would just run all day just chasing a ball like a a dog would would chase a rabbit and uh yeah Tenacity. I think it was tenacity. There you go. Tenacity by John Good. That even sounds better. I'd wear that. I'd wear that. <laughs> Thank you. I might have to turn this around pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. Hugely appreciate your time. I don't even. We didn't even say how much time. How much time do we have with you? Are we, we're just going to keep going for a bit. We can go. Yeah, I, I'll give you. I'll give you another fifteen minutes if you need it. Man, all right. All right. Let's do it. All right, because we do have questions. Like, I'm genuinely curious about a lot of stuff from professionals. Now, it doesn't always flow in conversations, so sometimes we don't get the chance. I'm to not your man. Did you say professional? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, you, no, come on, you're too modest, John, man. Come on. <laughs> but how do you handle anxiety? Like, I get nervous recording this show. Like, before oh. you came on, we were nervous. How do you do it? You got to go on for eight hours, talk. You got DC next to you. You got folks like that, Michael Bisbing on another side of you. And you got millions of people watching. How do you handle anxiety? Because I would just faint. Yeah, well, the anxiety probably isn't there in the moment. So being present helps. And having, <laughs> having a really difficult job like that help, helps. Because I don't really have a chance to think about it. It's go, 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 go. It's you're going from one thing to the other. Turn and burn, you know. It's just one thing after another. So when you're, and so you've got to be completely focused. And and then that's being present, right? So the, you know, we all hear it now. If we've read the self-help books, is it, if you look into the future, that's fear. And if you look into the past, that's regret. And they're kind of, they can be negative. So you've got to, if, you, if you're right here right now, however, then you haven't got any of those things going on. You're just dealing with the work at that time. So that's, that's what we try to get to, but that doesn't mean that the weeks leading up, you don't suddenly consider stuff like, I'll be entirely honest with you now. I've not called a live event for the UFC for 14 months. Like I urge anyone to do their job that they do on a daily basis. Take two weeks out, go back to it after two weeks and see if you do it as well as you did before you took your little vacation holiday um, or break. Like I've been out for over a year. So that's coming into it. Am I going to find my flow? You know, that, the i'm not with dan so uh, this will be with uh i think bisping and felder i don't know exactly okay. it's not been confirmed i think i've worked with that partnership once before and uh and i think it can from memory you know i, I think it can be improved that, that's on me so so yeah i do think about those things because i want to perform to my best but is it but then I got to be kind to myself. Is it likely that I'm going to have my best ever performance after being out for 14 months? A part of me saying, I don't care. It's got to be. But then there's another part of me that's also got to be kind to myself so that I at least get to the start line. So there's, there's a few things there. Um, 
time served. I think people reach out to me all the time about, I would love your job. I'd love to do what you do. How do I do? How do I get into a similar, in a similar path, whatever. And we spoke about it earlier. I started from the very bottom, from amateur fights. I worked in the, on the Watford scene. I then went down to the London scene. And then I eventually, I was down on the South Coast scene. And then I was with Cage Warriors and then we started doing stuff, you know, in a broader space. And you have to, like, if I'd have just, I couldn't have jumped from KO MMA and Watford Coliseum to the UFC. It just wouldn't have been right. I'd have sunk. And you have to take these steps. Even the big step to the UFC was a huge one, as I said. Um, and I was super nervous about that. Super nervous. Like, uh, here's one thing that just things will happen that you that you're not used to. But now I am. So it was London. It was the O2, and the fans were were amazing because they were they and I think because they wanted to, they saw Dan. Dan was there, and he's a legend. But I'm stood beside him. I'm like on his coattails, right? <laughs> so on a UFC broadcast, you do your prelims, and then it's a real quick turnaround. You literally put your jacket on. Then you spin around, you take your headphones off, you put your in-ear monitors in, you grab a microphone, then you talk to a camera right there with the lights on, and that's when you open up the main card. As I turned around, there were about 100 people, all with their phones out, with, like, the little light on. And I'm like, you know when you're talking about being present? Because I'm taking instructions in my ear. Right, right, right. Main card open. Okay. You know, hello and welcome to the ultimate fighting championship. All right, what's my name again? Yeah, I'm John Good. And then as I've turned around, there's this sea of twinkly lights. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was more worried about those guys than the camera because they were, I'll, I'll never forget it. They're like, go on, Dan, go on, John. Have a good one, son. Because <laughs> the UFC fans know the product so well. So they know every, they know every beat, you know, so they could follow what was coming up. And it, and it was like, oh, shit, it really, it really, like, took me aback. Um, but it was, a, it was a positive thing. It was just a bit like, oh, my God, what the F is going on? And then I'm like, okay, okay, focus back, you know, got a job to do. So you, you have those things. So it's important to, to go step by step. Don't try and race too fast because you'll crash and burn. And, and the only thing I can say is, look, I might not be the best. I'm clearly not the worst. And whatever people might say about me and, and what I am and all I'm not doing, I'm still here. I still have my seat. I'm still with the UFC. I'm grateful for it. Um, I feel like I've earned my position and I work hard. A lot of the stuff you got, I, I do more stuff that you guys don't see than what you see I do see, and, which I'm absolutely fine with, by the way. I don't do it to be seen. I do it to add value. Um, but yeah, don't just don't get ahead of ourselves and take your time, you know, take the lessons along the way. Yeah, that's, that makes complete sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of UK MMA, um, what do you think of how it's perceived here? I mean, obviously, there's a long ways to go. How long do you think yeah, we'll get to the point where boxing isn't the biggest combat sport in the UK anymore and it's MMA? I don't know. We need some work. We yeah. do need some work, and it and it's not the UFC's work. No, no, no. We're fighting a 200, 300-year-old dynasty, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's stuff that needs to go on kind of outside the UFC. The coverage of the UFC, I think, needs to improve quite a bit. 
Um, we then we just need we need some good fortune. You know, I think here's something that I've found myself talking about quite a lot recently. How many other sports do you know that are that grow top down? So if you think about football, it's a grassroots movement and sport. And you've got things like Sport for England and you've got all these associations and organisations that are getting kids involved when they're young. They're developing them, harnessing that talent, uh, bringing everyone in, boys and girls alike. And then they go up and they go up and there's weekend warriors, Saturday, Sunday football, all the way up, right? And if, if a number of Premier League teams didn't succeed, we still have grassroots football. There's none of there's not really any of that here in the UK. We, we haven't got a movement that are that are pushing kids into martial arts um, that you know in any way, shape, or form. Really, it's not part of a curriculum, so it's a challenge. And, I, and we're not recognised by Sport for England that I know of. I know that the IMF guys and the the UK MMAF and the EMMAF guys are all doing wonderful work and it's still they're still young. They're still trying their hardest, like banging on the door. Can you please listen to us? Um so it's the UFC are doing all of this work. Like they have to keep succeeding and they're helping fund things and they're they're letting some of their expertise be shared over here, over here, and drug testing programs and this, and that's the stuff that they don't get a lot of credit for. And it's not just the UK they're doing that for. They're doing that everywhere outside of the, the US. From like I'm not that close to the guys in Vegas, but this is what I see. It's expensive. It's tight. It takes a lot of resources to do these sorts of things, and it's challenging. You know, banging on doors when they're not opening is hard work. So. We need a few more. We need some money men. We need some some politic people with political power. I think to get behind it. We did have people in Harley Street that were helping us. Probably still are, you know, helping improve the safety of things because there is that to it. I think there are different aspects of certainly martial arts in general. Doesn't have to be uh, all about concussive blows. So it, it it will take a while. It's a polarizing sport as well. So. There is that. And the world is getting more and more tuned into long-term effects, like heading the ball in football. There are people calling for that to be ruled out. Like what chance have we got if they start removing that from the beautiful game? So we'll see. But uh, we've got a ways to go, which, which is also exciting, right? Because people like us, we're, the, we're well, maybe not quite the forefathers, but we're still early generations in this. We're maybe the second generation of people coming through helping to try and spread the good word, move the sport along. And uh, yeah, we just got to keep, keep playing away at the honest aspects of all of this. No, I completely agree. It's a martial arts based sport. It is the coolest sport when it's, when it's running on all cylinders and you know what credit where credit is due BT sport here in the UK has done an amazing job. They, they've really like put their best foot forward in promoting the UFC, right? Yeah, they're trying. yeah, they, they, I think their, their digital team do a, do a wonderful job. You know, they got some really good people involved now as well. But I don't know what, but the needle hasn't moved in years. Like, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know. That's why I said, I think it takes pressure from, from everywhere, you know, from everywhere. And may, maybe, I don't know, free to wear stuff like one day. In, I don't know. I, I just don't know what it is. Um, but... I don't feel like we've really grown 
a, a great deal and we need we need the pandemic hasn't helped because we haven't had boots on the ground That's for good. so long you know that and you need a presence because if people are channel hopping and it's always abroad then they just don't feel like they can they're not going to connect to it the same way that if they constantly see droves of people wearing t-shirts descending on Wembley the the echo the you know the, the the what is it is it the MEN now like I don't even know what these places but Birmingham Manchester like all of these places Glasgow let's go Cardiff let's uh, Belfast you know we need that that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna push on and then the coverage will then be a multiplier to that yeah I think it eventually will come but it's just a slow slow process um arguably I think when it was really popping off is when you know the uh, the golden era of McGregor 2016 20 to 2018 uh we're just hoping for another another moment like that um but yeah look John I, we really appreciate you coming on the show I thought you were an amazing guest um but yeah uh we're going to give you the spotlight um like lo- final words where can the guests find you um you know plug us pl- uh, plug any, anything you like to do uh oh right well we got five minutes left here we go um so I, i've been creating quite a bit of stuff for ufc fight pass mostly my uh, euro watch series so every event i put a spotlight on a european fighter this week is umana magomedov and neg merianu uh oh, i stumbled on that one so that's on that's on ufc fight pass on their socials on ufc fight pass itself i've got more stuff coming to ufc fight pass i've also got my own channel uh John Gun UK. That's what I am on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, got the Facebook thing as well. Always got stuff coming out. It's in drips and drabs, but bear with me. You know, if you stick with me, I'll, I'll get you something. How to fish a dish? How to fix a dishwasher? Maybe some <laughs> editing tips. Um, maybe how to wire a plug soon. Um, and triathlon stuff as well. That's a world that I'm still connected to. Got some news coming on that front uh, in the next couple of months as well. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Follow along. Let's see. On my journey to my brown belt as well in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, see how far I get with that one. Thank you so much, John. We're going to put all the links, uh, you know, in the video, in the bio. Appreciate um, it. Anything you'd like to do, uh, we'll help you. But thank you so much, John, um, for your time. Gents, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Ash. Ash.